0: Welcome, everyone, and once again, thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, we continue through the book of Genesis. In chapters 12 through 22, we look at God's promises and covenants that he made with Abram. You can join us by turning your Bibles as Pastor Josh LaGrange delivers his sermon titled Abraham, God's Blessing to the World.
1: Genesis chapter 12, Uh, we're going to read just a brief section to begin because, oh boy, we're going to read a lot today in the sermon. So have your fingers ready to roll to all over places in the Bible. So we're going to read just the first three verses of Genesis 12 here, and then I and you need God's grace if anything good is going to happen in this time, so then we'll pray. So Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, let's begin reading. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land, which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Please bow with me and let's pray. Oh, Father, um, God, we ask for you to come and meet with us now. God, there's there's a group of believers, our church family gathered here. Lord, we are excited and expectantly seated before you. God, hungry for your truth, hungry for you to hallow your name. God, we want to see more of you. We, we want to be brought to rejoice in what you've done, rejoice in who you are. And so we want to see more of it. And God, then we long to just be turned loose, to just be transformed for, for more of our affections and joy and zeal to be awakened that God will leave here and this whole week Live as people who are excited about the gospel, about what you have done, and Lord, that will make your glories known. So Father, we pray that you show us. God, for all of your people, all of the sons and daughters who are gathered in this room who know Christ, I pray that you will pierce us, encourage us, strengthen us, show us more. And God, any in this room who are not yet converted, not yet awakened, not yet regenerate. I ask God that this would be the day. Make this the day in their their life, oh God, that they are born again. So please, God, everything that needs to happen in this time, please give grace. God, I just humble myself before you and just confess, if you leave me to myself, this will be an awful waste of time. We need you to come and meet with us. To bless me to preach and bless all of us to hear, O Lord, that what happens here is pleasing to you. So everything, O God, from start to finish, please meet with us. We love you. This is for your glory, O God, that we ask these things. And we ask it through the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are three really significant truths that build on the foundations that have been laid that will help us understand the rest that God has done in the history of redemption from Abraham's life. As we consider Abraham's life, we're gonna cover the season from chapters 12 to 22. It's a long season of time here. There's a lot, there's a couple dozen important truths and I encourage you if you've never read that section or maybe not read it for some time, go ahead and read that. It reads pretty nicely. There's a lot of things you'll see. But one of our goals in this in this series that we're doing of walking through an overview of the Old Testament, here, here are my goals. I got, I got two main goals. One is to walk you through the storyline so that for the rest of your life, It makes sense to you. Whenever you hear about Abraham, you sort of know where he fits and Noah, you know, where they came and chronology and things like this. I want to help you with the storyline. But then also it has been to see those foundational kinds of truths that God sets forth in the Old Testament. And if you don't know them, you don't know the New Testament. We're going to to look today um, at three foundational truths three passages that I just want to tell you this. If you don't know these, you don't know the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, it assumes that you already know the Old Testament. So there there are foundational truths that we have to have in our minds, in our hearts of what God has been setting up as we've walked through Genesis and continue to go through the Old Testament, that when we come to the New Testament, if this is your first time going through the Old Testament by the time we're done, when you come the new, light bulbs are going to be going off. I mean, like a hundred times, just over and over again, because the New Testament has this assumption that already some foundations have been laid. So from Abraham's life, there are three really critical foundation blocks that we're going to lay today with this. The first one is this, is where we'll spend most of our time is in this first one here. Um, but I'm going I'm to word it like this. If you're taking notes, God's promises to Abram in Genesis 12. We meet Abram, who later will be named Abraham. um, And I'm probably going to get that wrong at some point in here, the Abram and the Abraham. Later in chapter 17, he'll be renamed Abraham. But the first time that we meet Abram is in the end of chapter 11. We meet Abram before he ever knew God. In fact, later in the Bible, other places like in Joshua 24, in looking back on Abraham, we are actually told this. Abram was an idol worshiper. When God broke into his life, chose him and drew him to himself. Abram and his family were from the city of Ur. Um, Archaeology has helped us out a lot with the city of Ur. If you have study Bibles on your lap right now, some of your study Bibles might even have a map of the ancient city of Ur. We know that much about it, okay? And so a lot has been discovered. We've actually learned that Ur was the world center for the worship of the moon. They, they, they would make sacrifices, offer prayers. There was a temple to the, the God of the moon that is there. So the Bible doesn't say this part, but it's very likely that Abram was a moon worshiper when God showed up into his life And spoke to him. And I bring that up to make this point because the Bible will make this point later. God did not choose Abram because he was righteous. God chose Abram in his sin and then brought him to righteousness. And that's always the way that it works. That is always the way that works. You in this room, who you love Jesus Christ now, you love him because God first came to you and initiated something. God did not come to Abram because he was holy. God came to Abram and made him holy. And every single one of us in Christ, okay, God came to you. God chose you before the foundation of the earth. Not because he looked in the future and was like, that dude, he is awesome. Gotta have him. Need him on my team, okay? That's not the way that it worked. God demonstrates his own love of us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God came to you in your sin. You are now a project in God's hand. God is molding you into who he wants to be. I don't know, that is beautiful, beautiful truth. God comes to us before we ever were, had anything beautiful in us. And what, what we're gonna see is as we follow the storyline of uh, Abram who becomes Abraham, by the time we leave him, Abraham, he is a new man. God transforms him. He's a moon-worshipping liar when we meet him. By the time we're done, he's he's a great guy. He's a godly guy. There was transformation that God brought you in this room. God comes to you. We respond to him in faith. God accepts us by faith, and then that faith is used to transform you. The Bible shows this truth over and over again. What goes on in your heart, whether it is decay or whether it is faith, will transform you into something. Who you are is the product of what's going on inside, the product of what's going on in your heart. And that point, by the way, the reason I bring it up and highlight it is I think that is one of James's point. In James chapter two, that difficult passage about how faith and works relate together. Some of this is what is going on. The way that Abraham demonstrated his his faith was by his life of obedience. But in this passage, God speaks to Abram, breaks into his life, speaks, calls him to himself. And God says here in chapter 12, he says 11 things to Abram. He gives Abram four instructions four commands and then seven promises. Let's walk through them first with the instructions. Number one, go forth from your country. Number two, from your relatives, meaning the larger clan, the larger family line that he was a part of. Number three, from your father's house meaning not only separate yourself from the the family line, but even from your own father's house, that immediate family, that, that aunts and uncles kind of thing. And so one of the things we can see is already a point here. God is calling Abram to separate, to be set apart. So Abram, here's everything you've ever known. Here's the city of Ur, all of its customs, where you were born, listen to me, How you were raised, your gods, your religion, the laws, the morality, the way of thinking, the worldview, the the cultural context that you have lived in, here's this, I want you out of it. I'm separating you to something new. I'm bringing you out of this and into, and then it's the into that there's a whole lot that comes. But here's the first part that God says about what God is bringing him into. Number four, I'm going to bring you to the land that I will show you. God is bringing Abram to a promised land. Later in the Old Testament, this land will become called the promised land. Sometimes it's referred to as the land of the Canaanites or the land of Canaan. Today, we refer to it as the land of Israel or Palestine. But we meet Abram before this land became a dominant feature in the scriptures. And we're going we're to get into it. But yes, God did eventually bring Abraham's descendants into that physical land of Israel. But the bigger point, the point that the Bible then takes and rolls with and heralds with great glory is there is a promised land to come. There is a heavenly city for the people of God. So four instructions and then God speaks seven promises. Now, um, before we even mention the promises, one thing we want to note here about chapter 12 is this. The promises are conditional here. Here's what we mean. Later on, we'll see God make some promises to Abraham that were unconditional, meaning doesn't matter what Abraham did, God was going to do it for him. But here... We have some promises that are based on some things. They're based on the very basic instructions that God gave him there, those four instructions, leave and go. If Abram does this, then here are blessings that will come. So here are seven of them. Number one, I will make you a great nation. Now later on, we're going to see God add to this. Later on, God's going to say, I'm going to make you a father of nations, plural. But first, the very first promise is a great nation. That nation will be, (laughs) we're already into some of the deep things. That nation will be physically the nation of Israel. But there's a whole lot more that we got to say about that as we get to it. So number two, I will bless you. The blessing of God is when God chooses to set his favor on you. It is when God, we we say this metaphorically, um, when God smiles on you. In fact, that's one of the chief blessings that we find in the Old Testament. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. God's blessing is the opposite of God's cursing, which is when God chooses to set his face against you for ill, God's blessing is whenever he decides to pour out mercy on you. And, and one of the points that I want to make here is, is this. As is we understand what blessing is scripturally, the blessing and the cursing of God can only rightly be interpreted from the perspective of eternity. Okay, so as a, as a small illustration of that, we all know the really common story of the person who wins the lottery And then later on in their life, curses the day they won the lottery, okay? Seemed like such a blessing. Maybe even on that day, yelled out, thank God, okay? And then later on, they look back and hate that day, okay? Think bigger. Think infinitely bigger than that. We cannot merely think of God's blessing in terms of earthly, physical prosperity. And you know, I I think sometimes we do. God does bless his, sometimes even bless his people in an earthly sense. Those are not the most important blessings. Sometimes we get confused about that. Sometimes we kind of get to thinking, you know, Ephesians 1 says this, those who are in Christ, God has given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's a really big promise there. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But sometimes we can hear that spiritual and heavenly and we're like, (laughs) Yay, patience, okay? When what we really want is money, okay? That's seeing wrongly. That's seeing from an opposite kind of perspective. So, so, So listen to me right here. God's people that he smiles on, takes pleasure in, delights in, and is actively doing good for may live in a prison camp in North Korea. While a wicked God-hating rebel whom God's heart despises, and yes, that is how scripture sometimes speaks, that man may prosper immensely on the earth. Many who are first will be last and the last first. God promises to bless Abram. We have to interpret that in the right way, and after I've explained all this is, now we got a proper theology of blessing. Let me also add this in, however, God's blessing on Abram is primarily spiritual, but in his life, he is gonna prosper. We are gonna see wealth and earthly prosperity come and God intended this as a way of displaying his hand on Abram. So that was the second promise. The third one is, I will make your name great. Many men do what they do on the earth so that they will be viewed with respect and admiration. God promises to Abram, you will be thought of as great. Number four, and so you shall be a blessing. Do you hear hear the language? Abram is going to receive blessing from God. He is also going to be blessing. There's actually a lot of emphasis put on this in this passage and then some of the laters that we're going to see. He's going to be a blessing. Before we even go any further, I want to point one, one more thing out. Do you see how thus far, every promise that God has made, these four promises thus far has been in complete contrast to everything we've seen thus far since the fall. And whenever you're reading the Bible in large chunks, like you're reading 20 chapters at a time, these are some of the beautiful things you start to see. God is doing some things here that are in contrast to what we've seen thus far, including chapter 11, the Tower of Babel from last week. All right, so think about this. In chapters 10 and 11, we saw the nations disperse around the world. People groups collected into nations were were scattered out throughout the earth. But God comes to Abram and says, I'm going to make you into a nation. So, So not only will you be linked to the nation that you will come from, I'm taking you out of that, separating you from that nation, and I'm making you into a new nation. And then in Genesis 3, the curse came. In Genesis 4, Cain was cursed. At the flood, the world was cursed. Chapter 9, Ham was cursed. Chapter 11, the world had a kind of curse in confusing the languages. And and now God comes to Abram, not because he deserved it. Totally in grace. Free grace, meaning he doesn't deserve it. That's the whole definition of grace. Whole definition of grace is what you're receiving is not what you deserve. It is better than what you deserve. Abram totally by God's free grace is going to be blessed by God. And then I will make your name great. At the Tower of Babel, the people tried to make their own names great by building a tower to elevate themselves to the heavens. Their vain efforts failed, but here's God coming to Abram in free grace and saying, I'm gonna make your name great. And then you will be a blessing. Friends, Adam and Eve proved to be a curse to the world. Every Christian woman that I have ever visited who is in labor says this, curse you Eve. And I think my wife was the most excited about saying that curse you Eve in this. Okay. But what God is saying to Abram is no one is going to say that of you. No one is, no, the people of God, people of truth are never going to say, curse you, Abraham. The people of God say, bless you, Abraham. God has promised to reverse the curse. Abraham is another step in that plan. In fact, a very crucial and foundational step in this plan of God redeeming the world. All right, here's promise number five. I will bless those who bless you. Number six, the one who curses you, I will curse. God is going to be so much for Abraham that those who do him good will get good and those who do him ill will receive on their own heads ill from God. And then number seven, the last one here in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham will not only be a blessing in a general kind of way, kind of like Noah was, Noah was a blessing to the world in kind of a a general way, but what God is saying to Abraham here is there is a specific way that to every family line, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people, Abraham will be a blessing to. All right? So, how? That's a really big promise. You will be a blessing to every family line on the earth. How will this come about? Well, to begin to answer that question, let's jump ahead to some more uh, more mysterious promises that God made to Abram, and then we'll, we'll come to some conclusions here. Jump to chapter 17 for a moment. Genesis 17, uh, find verses four and five. We're gonna reference this a couple of times here. 17, four, read with me. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall, but your name shall be Abraham for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Jump to chapter 22, verse 15. Read along with me here. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham will bless the world through his seed. So let me quickly take you through how Abraham will be a blessing. And then we're going to spend some time going through scriptures from the Bible that show that and and teach a bunch of truths along with it. Even earthly speaking, Abraham did become the father of numerous nations, even earthly speaking. Of course, we know that the nation of Israel came from Abraham. But we also see a story we're not even going to have time to get into today of when Abraham thought he needed to help God out and marry a younger wife and produced Ishmael. Ishmael was not the child of promise, but God said, I will make him into a nation. And then Esau, the grandson of Abraham, became a nation of his own. After Sarah died, Abraham married again and had sons, and they each went on to produce children who became great on the earth. So even earthly speaking, this promise was fulfilled. Physical sense, Abraham did become a father of nations. But huge point in the Bible, there is something much bigger here. Something eternal. And let me tell you something that will help you as you read the Bible for yourself. And especially as you read the Old Testament, it's one of the keys to understanding the Old Testament. Much of the time prophecy has multiple fulfillment. So meaning there's, I'm tempted to even say most of the time, okay, but I'll reserve it for much of the time. Much of the time prophecies from the Old Testament are fulfilled in multiple ways. We see this all the time. There will be some partial fulfillment, but the greater fulfillment is always in a bigger, eternal, spiritual way in Christ. So spiritually speaking, Abraham has become the father of a multitude of nations and has blessed all of the nations of the earth because Christ came from the line of Abraham. And Christ is gathering to himself souls from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. When you turn from your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ to be saved, what the New Testament says is you become a child of Abraham. Now, let me take you through some scriptures that show these things. Now, These scriptures I'm giving you, they're gold, okay? This is good stuff. You might even jot these things down in the margins next to Genesis 12 as a way of future studying these kinds of things. And so I encourage you to get to as many as you can. I'm gonna read them quick. Galatians 3.16 will be the first one. Galatians 3.16. If you don't get there, let me read it out loud. Here's what it says. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So God is saying in Galatians that when God promised to Abraham that through his seed, the world would be blessed, God was actually already putting a hint in the Old Testament text in that he said the word seed singular and not plural. Well, who is the ultimate seed Of Abraham, it is Christ. This is fulfilled in Christ. If you jump to the book of Romans, chapter 2, Romans 2, 28 to 29, and we're gonna actually be back in Galatians and in Romans at different times today. You'll just have pins all over the place if you keep them there. Romans 2, 28 and 29, let me read this out loud to you. Listen very carefully. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. All right, so what is God saying there? He's saying that the point of being a child of Abraham was never really about just being born according to that physical line of a family, just being born into the the earthly nation of Israel. It's deeper than that. God always intended that the bigger point was about being a son or daughter of Abraham by faith. Abraham was a man of faith. He was counted righteous by faith. We're going to get there in just a moment. And he says, you are not truly a Jew just because you were born to a specific people on the earth. You are a true Israelite by faith in Christ. In John 8, you don't have to turn there. I'll just sort of tell you briefly what happens. In John 8, Jesus has an interesting conversation with some Pharisees. And the Pharisees say to Jesus, we're we're sons of Abraham. And Jesus responds, if you were sons of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. But he is not your father. You are of your father, the devil. So you can see how Jesus is speaking here. There are a couple really important points. Number one, he speaks to some physical Israelites and says, you're not an Israelite. Physical Jews, he says, you're not a Jew. You are not a son of Abraham. You do have a father. It ain't Abraham and it ain't God. Your spiritual father is Satan himself. We're seeing some of the way that God has intended for us to see this here. Let me read a couple more to you. Romans chapter 9 in verses 6 through 8. I'll pick out a couple phrases here. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. It is is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. So just because you're physically descended from this people, he says that doesn't make you a true Israelite, a true son or daughter of Abraham. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist was preaching. Matthew 3, 9, here's a little little, uh, context, cultural context for you. It was a common belief in that day. We actually have some of the ancient writings and things that that record this. It was a common belief of the day that was very popularly taught. Abraham stood at the gates of hell and made sure no circumcised Jew would ever walk into hell. That gives a little more context to Luke 16, by the way, whenever we see Abraham in heaven. I think that's helpful. I think Jesus is addressing some things there. But but watch this. John the Baptist says this. Do not suppose that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. It's not about being born to a family. You do not have the kingdom of God simply because of something you can't help in being born to a family and something that was done to you on the eighth day of your life. One more, Galatians chapter three. I'm gonna read several verses to you here. Galatians chapter three. Galatians three, start in verse 24. He's got a section here where he's been talking about faith and works of the law and how they all work together. And so here's what he says in verse 24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, meaning the law of Moses has been fulfilled and taken out of the way. The command of God in circumcision, we're going to get to that, has been fulfilled and is no longer there. Verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then watch this. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. And so now that you understand that that is every born again follower of Jesus Christ, Regardless of what nation, what color, what lineage, what language you came from physically, you who are in Christ, you are among the children of Abraham. This is how Abraham is becoming the father of a multitude of nations. There is a spiritual fatherhood that is here. Jesus tells us every nation, is going to have souls that come out of them who respond to Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth, and that includes every tribe in the deepest parts of the jungle. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every language going to have souls who turn to Christ, and each time they become a son of Abraham, more importantly, a son of God, but he's setting something up here. And so now that we see all that, let's let's go back to Genesis Roll through a few more places, several more scriptures to look at here. Back in Genesis, jump to chapter 13, verse 16. Look and see what it says here. Genesis 13, 16. I will make your descendants, and by the way, every time we use the word descendants today, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the original word is seed, seed. Little hints here, little hints here, okay? Verse 16, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Jump to chapter 16, verse 10. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Chapter 22, verse 17. Twenty-two, seventeen. 17, indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. All right, put it all together. God says, I will make your descendants more numerous than the dust of the earth, the stars in the sky, sand grains on the seashore more numerous than any human can count. Got that? Now listen to Revelation 7. This is so good. If you want to flip there, Revelation 7. You, you definitely want to write this one down. Revelation 7, find verse 9. Oh, I, just, I, st- I found this this week when I was studying. Just had so much joy. Revelation 7, 9. Look at this. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude. This is a vision of heaven. This is a vision of heaven. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count. Heard that before? from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with branch, palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Guys, that's good. That is good stuff right there. This is beautiful. This right here is the fulfillment of everything God is doing in the world. Guys, God's plan for the world. It's not sports, Money, earthly endeavors. The glorious God is displaying his glory by saving a people to himself. This is how God is doing it. God is reversing the curse in Christ. God is redeeming the world in Christ. God is conquering all of his enemies beneath his feet in Christ. And God is bringing a people to himself. A special people a family, sons and daughters. God wants sons and daughters and he's doing it in Christ. Everything that God began in Genesis, we see the fulfillment and the conclusion of there in Revelation. It is all about what God has done in Christ. Now, one more, one more thing I wanna say before we leave this point. It's kind of a subpoint, but I wanna help you in your reading of the Bible. What I just showed you there with Abraham God continues to do throughout the rest of the Old Testament over and over again, hundreds of times. I'm not just saying repeat what he said to Abraham. I mean, over and over again in the prophets, in history, God does the same kinds of things, speaks promises, prophecies, shows, shadows that have partial fulfillment on earth, fully realized in Christ, like in the sacrificial system. When God says, there on the altar, the blood of the sacrifice will atone for your sins. There's a partial fulfillment on the earth. The blood of those sacrifices gave a temporary kind of a covering for sins. But that's fully realized in Christ. Christ offered his blood for the atonement of sins. God promises to David, one of your seed will sit on the throne and rule forever a partial earthly fulfillment that is totally realized in Christ. And the Old Testament is full of this stuff. Hundreds and hundreds of things just like that. In fact, you can think of the division between the Old Testament and the New Testament like this. Promises made and promises kept. The covenant making God makes covenant promises And the covenant-keeping God fulfills those promises in Christ. If you didn't write that down, you're just not paying attention. All right, point number two. Number two, we're going to name it this. The promise of justification by faith and the unconditional covenant with Abraham. The promise of justification by faith and the unconditional covenant with Abraham. All right. God came to Abram in Genesis 12 when he was 75 years old. And Sarai, his wife, was 65. And God promised, they had no children, and God promised to make him into a great nation. So for that to happen, we're going to at least have to have one baby. So it's 75 and 65, that's not real common, but I think humanly speaking, we would say, yeah, that's possible, humanly speaking, possible. So I'm sure Abraham, Abram was thinking, whew, God got to me right in time, just in the nick of time, before I got too old, time passes. They ain't getting younger and no baby. Time keeps passing. Still no child. God appears to Abram again. And Abram says to God, how's this going to work, God? Because right now the heir that I have is a servant of mine. If I drop dead right now, it's it's Elazar. God says, well, look at chapter uh, 15 again. Look at it in the context there. Chapter 15, verse four. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be So God says, there is an air going to come from your body. And then something very simple. It seems so simple, but it is earth shaking at the same time happened. Abram believed God. That sounds really simple. But look at verse six, chapter 15, verse six. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. When we come to the book of Romans, and that's next on the time frame here, when we come to this phrase, see, this gets picked up. This, this verse right here gets quoted in the New Testament for extended teachings about how it is that we are made right with God. It is by faith. We're gonna have a whole long study. It's gonna be awesome on the word reckoned, counted, credited, imputed. Abram is not righteous. By faith, God counts him as righteous. You are not sinless, holy, and perfect. But by faith in Christ, you get counted as if you are because the sacrifice of Christ gets counted for us. As we've been following the storyline of the Bible thus far, we've, we, we kept noting this. Mankind fell into sin, is evil before God, deserves death, deserves eternal death. I deserve eternal death. You deserve eternal death. You got to agree with God on that. You and I deserve eternal death. But we kept seeing somehow there's a way to be right with God. Seth was right with God. Enoch was was right with God. Noah was right with God. And and even, even Cain, even Cain when he was in sin and about to do something awful, God spoke to Cain and he said, if you will turn, if you will turn and do what is right, will you not be accepted? There is a way to be right with God. So what is that way? Friends, there is no question bigger in the universe then how can I be right with the living God who is the one who gives eternal life? If eternal life is available and I can have it or I can miss it, there is no question that's bigger than how do I get this? And the Bible answers it clearly. The Bible will spend chapter upon chapter explaining it to make sure it's crystal clear even though the world is still filled with religious organizations and churches which fight against what God says. Chapter upon chapter is clearly explained. You are right with God by faith. It is by faith in Christ. It is not your works and it is not faith plus your works. It is not a process of slowly getting closer. It is not a process of adding up merit with God. There are no scales in heaven where your good works are on one side, your bad works on another, and you're trying to to earn your way to heaven. It does not work like way. There is one way that you will receive this. It is by faith and faith alone apart from from works. The whole point of why God made it by faith is because you cannot earn it. You and I have already ruined our chance at earning it. Did you sin one time in your life? You ruined your chance of earning it, but God will give it as a gift. God will give this relationship, peace, acceptance, adoption, eternal life. He will give it as a gift by faith. Now, the rest of the Bible will give a lot of teaching to go along with it. For instance, you need to know what real faith is. You can deceive yourself. There's the kind of faith that demons have. There's a true and saving faith. You need to know what that is. But this is established already in the scripture. The promise is there. Faith will make you right with God. Well, coming back to the text here. On that day in chapter 15, God did something else. God makes a covenant with Abram. Now, let me, let me tell you a question that we have about, about the scripture here. One question that we have, and, and scholars are sort of divided on this kind of thing, and, and that is this. Should we see all that God does with Abram, Abraham as one covenant that just has multiple parts, or are there multiple covenants with Abram here? All of the preachers you love are all divided. There's no consensus here. It's not black and white. So I tend to think of this as one overarching covenant. And then there is a covenant within a covenant here. In chapter 15, God makes an unconditional covenant with Abram. If you look at verse 18, you see God just say that very clearly there. He makes an unconditional covenant with Abram. There are no instructions, no commands, no conditions put that if you obey me in this, then I will do this. God just makes promises and then God gives a sign. He passes through the sacrifices there as an example of the only one who took the oath upon himself. And yes, I do think there is a point that in chapter 15 where the promise of justification by faith is shown is the same chapter as the unconditional covenant. And then in chapter 17, which we're about to go to, there is a conditional covenant made of circumcision, which would eventually be connected to the law. You can think more on that on your own. Let's go to number three. We're going to jump to chapter 17. Let's call point number three the conditional covenant with Abraham and the sign of, of the covenant, chapter seventeen, uh, beginning verse one. Let's let's read and read quickly. Now, when Abram was ninety-nine years old, the Lord had appeared to Abram and said to him, "I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly." Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be out Abraham for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout your generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. We'll stop there. We see here finally Abraham's change of name. Abram means father. Abraham means something like exalted father. And God establishes this covenant and he gives a sign of the covenant. Remember in Genesis 9, we talked about the covenant with Noah. God gave a sign, bow in the clouds. New covenant in Christ, baptism and the Lord's Supper. God gives a covenant here and a sign of the covenant. The sign is circumcision. Now, why circumcision? Why why did God establish this? We can't answer that entirely from the mind of God, but there are some things that the Bible does show us. God chose a sign that inflicted severe pain and actually the cutting off of part of a body. Okay, this man was born with this and it is painfully, bloody, removed from him. Now, we got children in the room, so I won't get too graphic. And also, parents, you're welcome. Uh, there's a conversation coming later this afternoon, okay? Uh, this is God serving you. In and, and all seriousness, one of the things that God does tell us in Scripture is that one of the reasons why God gives some of the signs and illustrations that he does, and graphically, is he says so that children will ask their fathers what it means. And you get to have a gospel conversation. So gospel conversation coming this afternoon through an uncanny kind of conversation. But let me, let me help you a little bit in that here. We come to later in scripture and God shows us that the sign of circumcision with Abraham was meant to serve as a temporary picture of something deeper and eternal. That shouldn't surprise you because we're all the time saying that. All the time seeing that. Circumcision became the identifier of the Israelites in fact, later in the Bible, it will talk and speak that the, it will speak of the Jews as the circumcised, and the Gentiles, those outside as the uncircumcised. But God was preaching something through this. Jump to the book of Deuteronomy. These are the last passages we're going to turn to today. Deuteronomy, chapter 10. Deuteronomy 10, find verse 16. look and see what God says here. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. God says, circumcise your heart. Jump to chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. See it worded a different way. Chapter 30, verse 6. And here's where we connected to our scripture reading here. In Deuteronomy 30, God says this God says, This is before they entered the promised land, they're on the banks of the Jordan. Moses is preaching. And God says this, the day is going to come, Israel, whenever you rebel against me and I'm going to judge you and I'm going to scatter you to the nations. That's what we're reading about in Ezekiel in the scripture reading. I'm going to scatter you to the nations, but the day will come when I bring you back because for all time, I'm going to have a plan. I will bring you back. And when I bring you back, verse five, the Lord will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it and he will prosper you and multiply more than your fathers. Verse six, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. So this is even in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, God was preaching that the sign of circumcision was meant to picture something spiritual, something that must happen to you. Listen to Romans 2, 28 and 29 again. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, not the letter of the law and his praises not from men, but from God. Friends, piece it all together. Circumcision preaches, quite graphically preaches salvation. The whole thing the Bible is talking about all the time. Repentance, turning to God, the new birth, conversion. What you need from God, what you need to be right with God, this, this turning of faith. Listen to me, friends. It is not just deciding to go to church more. It is not just deciding I need to get some religion. It is not just deciding I need to start living a little better. That is not what you need to have eternal life. There is something cataclysmic that Jesus in the New Testament calls the new birth. You're going to cross from death to life. You're going to be made into a new creation. You need something to happen to your heart. And I love how it words it two different ways. Did you catch that? The first way we saw in chapter 10 said, you circumcise your heart. In chapter 30, it said, God will do this to you. Isn't that exactly the way that the New Testament speaks of salvation? Which which is it? Do I have something I'm supposed to do? Or is this something that God does to me? John 3, the wind blows where it wishes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's both. There is a way that you are to turn to God. You are to turn away from your sins. You are to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to understand there is an element of salvation you have absolutely no control of. You are completely helpless, completely dependent on the power and the grace of God to come and work a miracle in your heart. If that leaves you in a state of panic... Run to Jesus and it'll all be good. What you'll find is invisibly God was at work. So let me preach the gospel to you in maybe a way you've not considered before. You must be circumcised of heart in order to be a part of the people of God. And by the way, let me add in the way that Catholicism and other works-based false gospels preach that you become right with God, they always teach it's over the course of a process. It's always you earn merit. You stack up good works. You get closer to one day, maybe being right with God after a million years of purgatory. Maybe one day I get there over and over. In the Bible, we are shown this. There is a moment. There is a moment. There is a crossing from death to life, new birth. Justification is a moment. Circumcision of heart is you go from one moment you are not right with God to this moment you are. Conversion is from this to that. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I love this. Zacchaeus repented of his sin when Jesus came to his house. You remember the wording? He repents of his sin. He tells Jesus, Jesus says this, today salvation has come to this man's house because he too is a son of Abraham. That's a pretty big light bulb. That's a pretty big connection. Zacchaeus was born in the lineage of Abraham. He was circumcised on the eighth day and he was going to hell. Jesus says you weren't a son of Abraham. He repents and turns to Christ. Today's salvation has come. You're a child of Abraham. Listen to me. You can become a son or daughter of Abraham right now circumcise your hearts turn from your sin believe on the lord jesus christ and you will be adopted into a family abraham will become your father more importantly god will become your true father you will be counted as righteous to do that you can respond right now where you sit in your seat in the next 60 seconds You can become a son or daughter of Abraham if you will turn in your heart to Jesus Christ and pray and ask God to save you. But I give you the invitation, if you want somebody to talk to, find me after the service. Let's talk a little bit more. Let me answer your questions and I'd love to pray with you about how you can know that you are right with God. Let's close in prayer. Oh, Father, thank you for what you have done. Lord, the beauty of your plan of redemption astounds us. The beauty of your word is amazing and we give you glory and worship you for it. Thank you for who you are and thank you for what you have done in Christ. We worship you now, we will worship you forever. God, as we leave here, bless us to go live as people who are in all of you and are grateful for the salvation you've given us. We love you, Lord. Pray these things through Christ. Amen. The Lord bless you.
0: Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed Pastor Josh LaGrange's sermon titled Abraham, God's Blessing to the World. Tune in again next week as we finish up through the book of Genesis. True Vine Baptist Church also invites you to like our Facebook page or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.